0: Good afternoon, this is Dr. Norton with lecture number four on Shakespeare's Othello. Now, I could talk about this play for days and days, weeks and months perhaps. But in this podcast, in this lecture, I would like to discuss a couple key literary terms. Uh, One in particular, or one to start, is called attention. Now, in basic literary analysis, attention is... Something we usually frame in a basic structure, A versus B. Something versus something else. Now, you've heard this before. Uh, good versus evil. That's kind of a classic Marvel um, Marvel comics uh, tension. Um, you see other tensions. You see male versus female. You see poor versus the rich. Uh, in all across literature, right? These are, these are tensions that are pretty common. You see freedom versus captivity and so forth. This is attention. tension. This is how you frame you frame attention, Something versus something else. So when you think about Othello, I want you to think about tensions that you see active in this text. Now, from what we've been talking about and discussing so far in the other, other lectures, we've been really focusing on this, this relationship between Iago and Othello. I find this compelling. Part of the play, and even a part that I'm not sure I totally understand. To be honest with you, I find that um, even after many, many years of studying this play, I have a, a Ph.D. I mentioned before. I have a Ph.D. in Shakespeare tragedies and late plays. So this is a play that I've looked at many times. I've written about. I've published on. I have a, a book chapter on it, and so forth. But I still find myself, I still find myself unconvinced. <laughs> uh, and, and and that's, I think, some of the fun of it, to be honest with you. I think some of the fun of reading these plays is because there is such a, a human element in each of these plays. I think Shakespeare's going after something that is deep and profound, something very much related to our human condition. And yet, he doesn't make it obvious which way you're supposed to to lean. And what am I talking about? I'm talking about these tensions, really, in particular. Now, I, I, I think there is no doubt that Shakespeare wants us to see Iago as a villain. That, that's clear to me. There, there's no way you're going to make a good argument on how Iago is a hero. It's just not going to happen. But what about Othello? What about this man, Othello? In my book, I argue that Othello is a man from the very beginning who is prideful and arrogant that he is blinded by his own pride. And that pride leads him into a place of blindness. And by the end of the play, he's so blind that he is believing the lies of his friend Iago, um, and he kills his wife. I mean, he kills an innocent woman who is wonderful and loves him dearly uh, because he is blinded by pride. And that, that blinding, that prideful blindness, makes him vulnerable the lies and the deceptions of this character Iago now I think that's a good argument and I stand by it <laughs> that's the one I've, I've published but I have another way of looking at this play as well I have another way of looking at Othello as a man as a character and, and it's something like this we see Othello and I've quoted this line before at the beginning of the play when Iago brings Brabantio um Storming through town, uh, ready to to kill Othello and fight and and arrest him and so forth, all this nonsense. And how? What is Othello's response? Right, he's there, and when Iago says we should go, you should run, you should hide, Othello says, "Not I. I must be found." This is in Act One, Scene Two, Line Thirty. Right, "Not I. I must be found. My parts, my." title and my perfect soul, they shall manifest me rightly. Uh, this is a another way of looking at Othello. Now, I, I've taken this in the past, and in one way to read this is to see him as a man who's puffed up and prideful. Look at me. I have a perfect soul. I'm, I'm, I'm a great guy. Well, a second way to, to read this is to see him as a man who is um, open and honest. He is A man who wants to be in the light, as we say. Whereas Iago is a man who is full of deception and wants to remain in the darkness because he is a sneaky liar. He is full of deception and dishonor. And so talking about tensions here, right? If you look at it this way, you have a character, Iago, who is insecure. He is upset that he's been passed up for a promotion. He doesn't respond to that that insult to his pride with much character or with much um, integrity. Instead, he responds and says, I never should have been passed up. And because I was passed up, I will ruin the life of the man who passed me up. I will ruin the, the life of the man who failed to recognize my my greatness. That's what I'm going to do. As opposed to saying, okay, so I was passed up for a promotion that I believe I deserve. I believe that I am a good warrior. I'm a good, I'm a good military man. Um, but I will serve my country nonetheless. I will, I will continue on in a course of integrity and I will do what is right. And I will earn that position in time. That's not his response. His response is, is full of malice. His response is full of, of deception and um, weakness. and And most of all, insecurity so one of the early tensions you could see here is this tension between Iago the insecure and Othello the confident the Othello confident character who says I must be found Iago who throughout the text and even at the very end one of his last lines is um, I will speak no more in other words I will remain in the dark uh, that's kind of an interesting way to think about that right um, he says, "I'm just oh, from, from this time forth, he says, uh, act five, scene two, line 301. From this time forth, I never will speak word. <laughs> that's, his, that's his final line. So, So why? Why does he say that? Because he wants to remain in the dark. He is a liar. He is a deceiver. He is insecure and he does not want to be found. Othello, on the other hand, can be read as a character who is confident, full of integrity. Um, You can can argue his integrity as he even stands before the Senate, uh, which is another great section of this play, um, where he's standing before the Senate. And what does he say? I'm going to pull it up right now. He says in Act 1, Scene 3, let's see here, Act 1... Turning there now, um, Act One, Scene. Ah, here we go. I love this scene here. Act One, Scene Three, Line One Twenty Eight. This is Othello. Uh, if, if you're gonna, if you're gonna see him in this other way, right? Uh, the first way I mentioned, prideful, arrogant. My parts, my title, my perfect soul. He's bragging, and he's blinded by that arrogance, and it leads to his downfall. Here now, you might say, at the beginning of the play. You could say he's a man full of confidence, integrity, vulnerability, and character and in this line one three line one thirty, her father loved me, oft invited me, still questioned me the story of my life from year to year. the battles, sieges, fortunes that I have passed, I ran it through, even from my boyish days to the very moment that he bade me tell it. Uh, one way to read this is that this is a this is a man who has showed his very soul to Rabantio and is, is doing it again right in front of the Senate. What kind of a person is able to, to bear their soul, to show and tell their full story, story of success, story of failure? I mean, the first part of this, if you go down a little farther, line 136, um, what does he say, of being taken. He says, uh, I told him stories of being taken by the insolent foe and sold to slavery. He tells him stories about his failures as well as his successes. So another way to look at this is Othello is, is, is bold, is honest, is confident. He, he wants to show himself to the light. Let everything out in the light. Let everyone see what is going on. And in so doing, he shows that he's full of confidence. He shows that he's a man of integrity. This, I want to argue... Or I can argue this this angle of about Othello is that this makes him even more of a contrasting figure to Iago. If you take this argument that I'm proposing here, you'll see Iago as a man of deception, lies, a man who wants to remain in the dark. All right, Othello, this tension, darkness versus light, insecurity versus confidence. Othello wants to bring things into the light. Othello is confident. Um, he is not insecure. He is open about who he is, and he wants to share it. Uh, and he wants to make sure that the truth prevails in many ways. Well, that's, that's, again, one way to read this text. And the reason I'm bringing this up is this, because we're talking about tensions today. And when you talk about tensions, let's say this tension right here we're talking about is insecurity versus confidence. When you talk about tensions, you want to always start with the tension, A versus B, insecurity versus confidence. And then you ask the question, how is this tension resolved? How does this? How does the play resolve this tension? And we hit on this a little bit last in the last lecture. Um, how do you think that this this statement speaks to the resolution or the resolving of the tension when Othello in Act Three, Scene Three, Line Four Fifty says, "Arise, black vengeance from the hollow hell! Yield up, O love, thy crown and hearted throne to tyrannous hate." Swell bosom with thy fraught, for tis of aspic's tongues. (laughs) And then Othello goes on to kneel in front of Iago. And he says, um, as he says here on line 460, Even so my bloody thoughts with violent pace shall ne'er look back, ne'er ebb to humble love, till that a capable and wide revenge swallow them up. Now, by yond marble heaven, in the due reverence of a sacred vow, I here engage my words. So, uh, you're probably figuring this out already, but the tension resolves with the victory of insecurity, right? The tension resolves with this man, Yago, the fearmonger, the insecure, the coward, the liar. He wins. Lies win over the truth in this play that's how the, that's how the play resolves that tension I talked about this last time Iago is part of this this theme in the play that deception has a way of reducing our view of self and other so this idea of, of reduction we talked about this reduction versus expansion would be another great tension we'll talk about that in a second but if, if this is the idea we're talking about here, so Othello gives himself over to Iago, that means the deceptions that Iago is wielding, the fear-mongering that he's using to, to break down Othello's character, he wins. And so lies win. And so what, so with, that, with that conclusion, if that is the way that the play resolves, or the tension resolves, you have to ask, ask yourself, why? Why would Shakespeare have this weasel of a man named Iago have this, this horrifying individual named Iago. Why would he allow him to win? So, in much the same way, we talk about tension. So you have this tension between Iago and Othello. Now, when you have a, a, two characters in tension, you want to ask yourself this question: What do these characters represent? And I've kind of been, I've been alluding to that already, right? Iago represents insecurity and fear and fear mongering, deception. Othello could be it could, could be said Othello rep- represents Integrity, honesty, vulnerability, clarity, and light. These things come into contrast, they come into tension, and you have the resolution that, um, that the deception and the reductionist power of Iago wins out. Well, the question is, why? And the, and the way we arrive at that answer, perhaps, is to, is to further unpack these two characters. Yago. Iago. He represents a deception. He represents um, darkness. He represents insecurity, reductionary forces in society. Then you look at what might they represent in society. What about these characters might be representative of greater things or things that are more representative in society, things in in our world around us? There's a couple things I'm thinking of. Um, Iago uh, reminds me in some ways of... Of kind of our contemporary way of doing advertising. If you watch TV or you you listen to the radio or you hear advertisements, or you look at them in magazines. One of the one of the things you'll see is that an advertisement wants to shape the way you see yourself. An advertisement wants to play upon your desires, and so you see an advertisement for let's let's say um, it's a it's a, a beer company, right? And so they have a group of people all around this guy who has a a, a certain beer in his hand. And and, and by playing this scene out, you realize that what they're telling you is you could be like this guy. If you just had this beer in your hand, people would like you. You could be popular. Everyone wants to be popular. Everyone wants to be loved. And one of the ways you can be loved is by holding this beer. Another way to... And so, so what is that saying about you? That you're a person who needs other people. You need to impress people. You need to win their favor in order to be loved. And, uh, and that's how we found our value. That's a way that's, that, that advertisements define who we are. Um, I mean, you see this in a lot of commercials about women, um, that women are sex um, objects for men. That's, that's just what they are, right? There's this idea And so for a woman to be desirable, she has to look like this or act like this. Um, These are reductionary, right, in their their force in our society. And so now we have a whole generation of women who who think they have to look and act a certain way to, to be desirable for men. This is reductionary and harmful and oppressive. And yet is what our society does through different ad campaigns and through different marketing devices. It tries to shape how we see ourselves. Now, one of the values of a college education is that you learn to think critically about these messages. And there's more than just advertisements, right? There are all kinds of messages that are coming at us all the time. And we need to as thinking people, we need to be able to to crit- critique those messages and say, "No, no, no, no. This is false." This and, and if we're critical thinkers, we can say, we can see this coming at us. We can say, "No. I see what you're trying to do here. You're trying to make me feel and think that I am nothing more than a uh, a beast with lustful desires. Uh, but I'm more than that. And as a critical thinker, and as someone who who realizes this, you can, you can uh, deconstruct some of those messages that are coming at you. You can see when someone is trying just to play upon your fears or your desires simply, uh, because we are all more complex than just fear and desire. We are more than just desiring beasts. And so there is something about this with Iago and his character that may represent these forces in society that seek to shape us in a certain way, that want to force us to see ourselves in a particular light or in a particular way. Um, and so that is, that is part of what's going on here, I believe, um, that these forces are reductionary in many ways. They reduce us into, to, 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 to see ourselves in a smaller way, less complex. Now, something that happened to me, this is kind of a personal story, but when I was in high school, I became a Christian and I started hearing sermons for the first time and reading the Bible for the first time, the Christian scriptures, and I realized that God was saying something in the scriptures about who I am. He was describing me as a person who is is made in his image, that he loves me and he cares for me. He loves me so much he, he, he became man, a man for me, Jesus Christ, and he suffered and he died on a cross and He he rose from the dead, all to do what? all to give me life and salvation, all to give us salvation, his children. Um, and why would he do that? Because he loves us and because he has a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. And he's going to use us for this great purpose to, to show others his great love for them. And so when I heard this for the first time, I mean, this is, this is called expansionist, an expanded view of self, right? Just the opposite of what I was talking about with Iago, and culture and advertisements, those things are often, they shrink us, they reduce us. But when I, when I heard the message of the gospel for the first time, and as I go back on a regular basis and read my Bible, um, I, I find that the scriptures are expansive. They expand my view of myself. I'm more than just a, a, a lusting beast, like a dog in heat. I'm not that, and none of us are. We are are people made in the image of God, uh, made for a purpose. And this is far greater, perhaps, than we often think of ourselves. And so this expansionist view of self. So there's these two things going on in this text. We have this this reducing power that that Iago represents and this expanding power that Othello represents, at least how he sees himself in this expansive way. And yet, because Othello listens to the lies of Iago, he he ends up losing his expanded view of himself. And so what are those forces in society around you? What are those messages you're getting around you that want to reduce you? Usually it's coming from people who want something from you, sadly, um, and they want to control you and manipulate you. Hopefully you can recognize that and you can say, okay, um, I see what's going on here and yet I, I know these aren't, aren't true messages about who I am. And so I refuse them. I refuse to believe that I am simply this or simply that. Um, I know that I am made in the image of God, that he has knit me in my mother's womb, as the as the scriptures tell us. And that I am made for a purpose. And he has called me. He's called me to be a light on a hill, a city on a hill, a, a, a lamp that cannot be hidden, right? That is who we are. And um, and so there is this this tension here we experience. Well, sadly in this play, we see a man who gives in to the reductionist narrative of Iago and it ends it ends very poorly for him as we see at the end right what is what does he do at the very end he he kills his own wife he kills this woman why Um, because he believes that she has cheated on him he believes that she has embarrassed him uh, deeply embarrassed him in front of everyone else and that he will be shamed uh, if he lets her live and um, let's see here he says this uh, at the at the end of this, this section here act 5 act 5 scene 2 line 256 uh, Othello says behold i have a weapon a better never did itself sustain upon a soldier's thigh i have seen the day that with this little arm and this good sword i have made my way through more impediments than 20 times your stop but oh vain boast who can control his fate tis not so now Be not afraid, though you do see me weaponed. Here is my journey's end. Here is my butt and very sea mark of my utmost sail. Do you go back dismayed? Tis a lost fear. Man but a rush against Othello's breast, and he retires. Where should Othello go? Now, how dost thou look now, O ill-starred wench? He's looking at Desdemona. Pale as thy smock. He's looking at his wife that he just killed. When we shall meet at Comte this look of thine will hurl my soul from heaven and friends will snatch at it well a little farther in he says i did this because she was unfaithful and all of a sudden people start coming around him and saying no that is not correct you you are you are deceived and so we have it here we have it uh, act 5 scene 2 line 310 um actually 304 Lodovico says Sir you shall understand that what hath befallen which as i think you know not here is a letter found in the pocket of the slain rodrigo and here another the one of them imports the death of cassio to be undertook by rodrigo othello says o oh, villain and cassio says most heathenish and most gross lodovico says now here's another discontented paper found in his pocket too and this it seems rodrigo meant to have it sent This damned villain, but that, belike, Iago and the Nick came in and satisfied him. That means Iago killed Rodrigo. Othello says, oh, thou pernicious caitiff, How came you, Cassio, by that handkerchief that was my wife's? That was the thing that made him believe that Desdemona was unfaithful, right? that, That Cassio had the handkerchief. And Cassio says, I found it in my chamber. And he himself Confessed, but even now, he's talking about Iago. Iago confessed that there he dropped it for a special purpose, which wrought to his desire. And then Othello's words here, these four words, he says, Oh fool, fool, fool. And he's talking about himself, right? Sadly saying this about himself, that he is the fool. He believed these lies, and he was the fool. And that's a sad moment where, Iago comes, or sorry, Othello realizes what's happened. Then he says this very famous speech soft you a word or two before you go. I have done the state some service, and they know it. No more of that. I pray you in your letters, when you shall these unlucky deeds relate, speak of me as I am, nothing extenuate, nor set down aught in malice. In some ways, you could argue that Othello here now becomes the man he was once before. He is In some ways, redeemed. You might argue he 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 is he is um, now has vision. He sees what happened, and he is very very repentant. He he says here, when you tell the story of my life, don't don't tell it in malice, don't tell it in hatred, because you know that I made a a huge mistake and I realize what I've done. But also, don't praise me, um, don't praise me unnecessarily. I'm a man who has fallen. I'm a man who has failed. And um, then he says, Then you must speak of one that loved not wisely, but too well. And that's an interesting claim there. He didn't love wisely, right? He should have confirmed these rumors. He should have he should have made certain that these were not lies. And then he said, But he loved not wisely, but too well. Is this a way of saying that jealousy is a form of love, right? And I think that's true. Jealousy is a twisted form of extreme love, um, but it's not true love, right? Um, It is a desire to control. It is love taken and being twisted out of shape. Then he goes on to talk about how once once in Aleppo, where a malignant and and a turbaned Turk beat a Venetian and traduced the state, I took by the throat the circumcised dog and smote him thus. And he stabs himself. So what's he saying there? He, well, he, he's describing a Turk, um, a turbaned Turk, one of the enemies of Venice. And this is a, a war, a situation in war that took place where he saw a, a Turk, a Turkish man, kill a Venetian, right? Or beat one, beat a Venetian and bring disrespect to Venice. But Iago, I'm sorry, Othello says he took, him, took the Turk by the throat and killed him but he kills himself in this scene. And so in some ways what he's saying here, he says that I have become like the Turk. I have become like the enemy of Venice, the enemy of Desdemona. And I'm going to remedy this. I'm going to fix this situation by killing myself, by killing the enemy of Venice. I will kill myself and I will end this turmoil. I will do justice by the state by killing myself. Now I am no fan of... of, suicide, I think this is a terrible thing. No one should ever com- commit suicide. Uh, no matter how bad get, things get, there's always a way to find a redemption. There's always a way to find a way out. Um, but this is a story. Right. This is a make-believe story that Shakespeare is composing. In order to make a point, he's making many, many points. Right. He's, he's drawing different kinds of conclusions. He's talking about different kinds of issues uh, that, that relate to us in, in our lives. And one of those is this issue of, against, of good versus evil. What do we do with the evil within us? In some ways you could say, he says we must fight. We must struggle against that evil. Um, we must struggle against that evil. I read the, the Quran many years ago. And, and there's a line in the Quran that talks about how we must um, war against the evil within us. It's almost this, this idea of, of a jihad, a um, jihad, Against our own sin, and I like that, that phrasing I think that's important for us to wage war against the the worst parts of ourselves, not by suicide. please don't mistake that but but by by discipline by personal discipline, I think it's a good idea to to um to be disciplined uh in many ways we We see that with even in the new testament in in the Christian scriptures, the apostle Paul talks about how he he beats his flesh into submission. Um, he's talking about personal discipline and the importance of that in, in, in those of us who want to be people of character. We have to be people of discipline. And there's something about that being said here. How do, how do we avoid this place um, where Othello finds himself at the end of the play, deceived and broken, a, a man beaten by insecurity? How do we get there? I think part of it is Shakespeare saying, you need to study and make yourself smarter and know and, and, and listen and, and be of a sharpened mind because fools will follow the way of fools. But how do you avoid being a fool? By putting the hard work of discipline in. And for, for you guys, that's, you know, that's pushing your way through these plays, that's reading, that's thinking. That's putting time into your studies. Because these old plays, these old works of literature have something very valuable for us today. But many people find them too difficult, and so they just avoid them, they ignore them. And, and I think in many ways, in our society today, people are lazy about reading. Um, and what do we miss out on? We miss out on some of the great wisdom of antiquity. We miss out on the wisdom of the ages. Uh, because why? Because we're lazy. Because we want to watch a TV show or a, a meaningless movie instead or we want to go out and do something dumb, um, instead of taking out time each day to really learning and growing and bettering our minds so that we do not fall into the same situation that Othello finds himself in at the end of the play, beaten, destroyed, and defeated by by really the evil in society, and even the evil in himself. Um, well, that's, that kind of ends this very dark play. There is this moment of... of redemption that I believe exists at the end of this play, where Othello does finally see the truth. And there is something valuable in that, right? Um, It is my hope and prayer that we always um, are able to find ourselves in a place where we can see the truth. We can see what's true and good and beautiful. And and, you know, in the course of my life, that has come as I've discovered my faith in Jesus Christ. Um, as I walk in Christ, as I walk as a Christian, as I learn through the Scriptures, I find that my eyes are opened more each day. I'm far from perfect. I still make grave mistakes, but I know that I'm growing in my understanding of who God is and who He's called me to be. And, and that's where I want to be. And I, and I pray that for you as well, that you too will grow in wisdom and insight uh, for your own sake, but also for the sake of those that, that, are, that you love. All right, see you next time.